Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to take a look at a Business Insider article about the future of video gaming. In particular, how it relates to the future of streaming or subscription services like Game Pass and Apple App Arcade. But before we do, I wanted to give a hat tip. This was linked to me by my friends at the Basement Radio Arcade Podcast, a podcast on which I have appeared, and more particularly by the head of that podcast, Geralt of B-Rap, who contacted me in my DMs on Twitter, linked me to this article, and I always appreciate that. I can't get to every news item in the world of business or law or video games or pop culture or what have you. So if you have something that you think is interesting, that you think would be interesting to discuss on virtual legality, please do link it. Find me in my DMs on Twitter. Link it to me publicly on Twitter, the comments to these videos, anywhere else. I can't promise that I will get to what it is that you want to point me at, but I love seeing those possibilities. I love reading those articles, and I very much do appreciate it. But this article in particular is ridiculous. <laughs> great great lead in, right? Let's take a look. The Netflix of gaming is coming, and video game makers are worried that their business could meet the same fate as music and movies. And we've got some bullet points here, but let's dive right in. Being a video game fan in 2020 means more options than ever before. Sounds good so far. Not only are more games being made, but there are more ways to play those games for less money than ever. You haven't lost me yet. If you're a PlayStation 4 owner, a $10 monthly or $60 annual subscription service called PlayStation Plus offers a monthly stipend of free games for as long as you're subscribing. If you're an Xbox One owner, a similarly priced service offers similar benefits. I don't know why they didn't mention Xbox Live by name there, but it is what it is. That's before we start talking about newer more disruptive offerings like Microsoft's Xbox Game Pass program or Apple's Apple Arcade, which provide Netflix-style instant game libraries for a monthly or annual subscription fee. Now, there's a couple things I want to talk about here before we get into some of the comments that this author of this article has collected. But first, PlayStation Plus and Xbox Live Gold aren't really disruptive at all. Right, These are kind of holdovers from the previous generation, in particular Xbox Live, that said, we want you to pay for multiplayer services. We like that recurring revenue source. We don't have a real good reason to charge for it. After all, the PC gaming space has had free multiplayer forever and ever. So we are going to offer certain bits of kind of free bits and bobs for you to feel good about the fact that you are paying us $50 or $60 a year to get these benefits. And that's what Xbox Live does. That's what PlayStation Plus does. PlayStation Plus, I believe, turns off your games when you don't subscribe to it anymore. And Xbox Live, I don't think, does that. So there's a difference there. But it's ultimately just giving you free games. It doesn't change the paradigm of what games are. Now, as we've talked about in virtual legality in the past, Game Pass does do that, right? Game Pass is a monthly or annual service that allows you to get all this access to these games. And most specifically all of the first party games day and date to when you could otherwise buy them that are released by Microsoft. So if you really love the Gears of War franchise, you could have gotten Gears of War 5, which I think they dropped the of war and just called it Gears 5, day and date to when it came out. That's how I wound up playing The Outer Worlds is because I'm a Game Pass subscriber and that came out the same day that I would have bought it and I didn't. And I have talked in this space and in the two hugs are better than one space talking to my game developer brother about the fact that Game Pass has changed 
the way I think about, in particular, certain mid-tier gaming offerings. And I think that might be one of the things that is coming up in this article. In respect of those offerings, I very often look at them and say, well, that feels like a Game Pass game. That feels like a game that Microsoft will go out and get the rights to. And so I shouldn't buy it right now because I otherwise have Game Pass for the next couple of years and I should wait to see it come out there. The example I give for that usually is Remnant, which was a game that was recommended to me by a number of people. But I looked at it, I was otherwise playing a bunch of games and I said, hey, I think that game's probably gonna hit Game Pass and a couple months after release, it did. And so I do think it's likely to change people's buying habits to some extent, but I don't know that it is going to change things in such a way that the industry itself needs to be concerned. This article does one of those things which I really hate, which is that it kind of generifies all references to video game makers so that one or two anonymous quotes are interpreted to mean this is how the video game industry feels about things. That's wrong in any context. That's not just video game articles. That's not just pop culture articles. That's when you see a politics article, a foreign policy article, something about viruses or pandemics. Whenever you see somebody kind of aggregate a few quotes from an anonymous source or two and say, this is how X group feels, that's always a bridge too far. Certainly for me as I read it, but I recommend definitely taking everything with a grain of salt when you see those kinds of general affirmations based on a couple of quotes. But it is the truth that Game Pass is a new kind of form of participating in the game community. Apple App Arcade, which does the same thing roughly, you get a couple hundred games, I think, for $5 a month, that access to downloading them on your Apple iPhone or your iPad or your, I think your Apple TV. You can get those access the same way that Game Pass works through the Xbox ecosystem. And so they are of a kin, right? And they are disruptive. It is different to essentially say, oh, I'm going to get this. And then whatever they wind up licensing, that those are the games I'm going to play because I don't otherwise want to spend more money. But as this article starts out by saying, that means that a lot more people can access the gaming ecosystem. That means a lot more people can get more options to play what it is that they want because they can have this subscription service and then maybe buy a game off of it if it's going to otherwise leave. If you're familiar with Netflix, you know you get those little warnings and something that you might love or a TV show that you're in the middle of is going to leave and you go and you find another way to watch it, whether that's on a new streaming service or you buy it from another digital purveyor of things like TV shows such as Vudu. And so when we talk about these things, the economics are very, very complex. And anyone claiming to fully understand exactly what effect a brand new paradigm, a model shift for a given industry is going to have two, three, five, and 10 years down the line is putting their own spin on what they think is going to happen. Hey, that goes for me too, right? If you hear me say, hey, I don't think this is going to happen. I think this is going to happen. That's my educated guess as to how things are going to play out. But when you've got things like this, when you've got a major console player in Microsoft and Xbox essentially adopting a games-as-a-service revenue-first model rather than the sales of units. That's why they are having all of their first party come out on Game Pass, is that that is their primary product. That is why they have things like smart delivery, like we talked about earlier this week, that is going to have one license for games that cross generations. They are trying to build a, a 
ecosystem that just has you participate in it without kind of thinking about all the other frictional activities that you might have. That you don't have to worry that you buy something and it won't be used on this box because it's limited to this box. Same for Game Pass. You can play it on your computer. You can play it on your Xbox. That's what they are aimed at. And I think it's worthwhile to follow. I think it's novel. I think it's interesting. I think that kind of vitality in any industry is useful, but it doesn't mean that it will succeed. It doesn't mean that Microsoft has every answer to every question already lined up because they don't know what those answers are. Heck, they don't even know what those questions are because they are only now in the early stages of figuring out what kind of money needs to be paid to third parties to get them to participate, what those third parties are going to be happy with, what is fair for everyone, and hopefully not cannibalize the overall sales of what they are trying to also make license money on at the same time. And what you get here in this article, and we haven't really even dived into the quotes yet, is a general fear of change, a general fear of the worst possible thing that could happen because there are disruptive technologies that are occurring, that this industry in five years isn't going to look the same as it did five years ago or even today. And that I will tell you sitting here in virtual legality is 100% the truth right? Especially on the bleeding edge of technology. Digital purveyors of services all across the world are dealing with the software as a service model. Video games are, if anything, a little late to that party. That is a paradigmatic shift in how you receive the content that you are receiving. Some people hate it, right? We did an entire video series in virtual legality talking with Accursed Farms and Ross Scott about how he views games as a service as a kind of fraud, because you don't have access once the servers are turned off and all these various things. I can only imagine that Game Pass and subscription services becoming, if they do become, the primary entry point to actually enjoying video games is going to be even worse for Mr. Scott and Accursed Farms. Because at that point, you lose access when a license somewhere that you had no part in negotiating otherwise dies. And Game Pass isn't old enough for us to fully understand exactly what kind of contracts Microsoft entered into. But it is worth noting that more and more people are participating in the ecosystem because of it. Now let's dive into what this actually says. Executives at major video game studios and publishers, so anonymous, told Business Insider that the growth of subscription services was a sign of a new paradigm in the industry, one that may signal long-term trouble for developers, even as fans and platforms thrive. Now, This in and of itself is an interesting kind of concept. As we've talked about in the past, we always have to worry about tilt, right? When you've got anonymous sources, it is impossible for us to kind of interpret what they are saying, figure out where they're coming from. You know, this could be an insider at Electronic Arts that hasn't had their own service really take off and is now worried that they are going to lose negotiating leverage to the Microsofts and the Apples of the world right? You can get that quote out of somebody like that. We can't evaluate it for ourselves because we don't have the background information necessary to look at who is doing the talking here. And to my mind, there's really no good reason why any of this should be anonymous, but mostly this article winds up saying they're trying to preserve their relationships in the industry. That doesn't fly for me very well, but we have to take it when we look at an article like this with a grain of salt because Everybody's got an agenda. Everybody has their own biases, and we can't evaluate those for ourselves when it's done anonymously. These services are great for gamers. I think we should full stop there. 
What is great for gamers in general is going to be great for the gaming industry. I know that's intuitive. I know that probably doesn't need to be said, but where there are more people engaging with a product or service or concept, there is more money to be made there. There is more resources to be devoted to making that bigger ecosystem happy. And yes, we can argue about how the profits are split up and whether or not you think the Microsofts and the Apples of the world are getting too much against the people that make the remnants of the world. That's fine. That's a decent conversation. What it isn't is the end of gaming, right? If anything, what we are seeing right now from streaming, what we are seeing right now from uh, the subscription services throughout the music and other pop culture industries is that people like this. People like that product. People like that service. And it is growing their revenue base. Now, does that money all trickle through to the developers, the singers, the musicians, whoever else it might be? That's an argument that we can have. But overall, the pie is growing and it doesn't make much sense to ignore that fact. As we would expect, when more people that engage with an industry are happier, that pie grows. These services are great for gamers who have many more options to play great games. And in the short term, these services are great for game makers who reap the financial benefits of massive companies like Microsoft, Sony, and Apple splashing out for games. As Microsoft seek to grow its subscriber base with Xbox Game Pass, for instance, it offers lucrative deals to developers and studios whose games it wants on the service. Of course, look no further than the film and TV business for examples of just how lucrative those deals can be. Grey's Anatomy creator Shonda Rhimes got a $150 million deal from Netflix to produce content for the streaming giant. But these big paychecks from platforms don't last forever. Now, this is a really interesting metaphor analogy that the author of this article has chosen to use. Shonda Rhimes got $150 million not 15 years ago, but very recently. Similarly, it's not like Netflix hasn't been offering big checks to very limited ability content creators. CNBC, Netflix just spent $200 million for the Game of Thrones creators, but the cost could be greater, right? Netflix spent $200 million on these idiots that killed Game of Thrones and that had to walk away from Star Wars, which is in its own state of disrepair. And hey, you might say, well, Rick, that article said the paychecks don't last forever. Okay, that's fair. Maybe Netflix is brand new. Maybe Netflix is really a new company. Oh no, it was started 22 years ago. If you are in the business of selling subscription services for content, you are always going to need content. Growing the demand for content isn't going to reduce its cost. Yes, it might shift who the winners and losers are in a given industry. And that might be part of the conversation. But saying these big paychecks from platforms don't last forever right now is objection. Facts, not in evidence. Unless you want to say in the long term, the heat death of the universe, the sun explodes, what have you, things don't last forever. In which case I would say, yes, nothing lasts forever. Right now, Netflix is 22 years old and still spending hundreds of millions of dollars on content creators that aren't any good, right? I'm sorry if that is more opinion lace than you like in virtual legality. I can't stand the Game of Thrones creators. I'm very happy to see them off Star Wars. I can't imagine what they will do on Netflix. I am certain it will be facile and puerile and not terribly something that I'm interested in, okay? But Netflix spent $200 million on them because they have a name and because they put together a show for uh, most of a decade that mostly wasn't horrible for most of its run. And Netflix did that because they need content, 
They need to bring people in the door. They need to keep people in the door. That's not going to change for Microsoft or Apple or Sony. What it is going to change is the way the market operates and whether or not you sell things directly. But, but these big paychecks from platforms don't last forever is no way to run a business, especially if we're talking about a two-decade time threshold, right? Microsoft has a lot to figure out. Microsoft has to figure out exactly what the numbers need to be, what they need to look like in order for everybody to get their piece of the pie and to feel good about the value proposition that Game Pass offered. Because if they don't, the next time that somebody is asked to join Game Pass and to put their content up there, they won't. Microsoft knows this. That is why you see better deals at the front end than you might see later on is because they're figuring out where the economics lead them to. It doesn't mean that you aren't still going to make more money than you might otherwise because Microsoft has every incentive to get you in the door. It does mean that right now they have to blow you away because nobody has any analytics. And running a business is an inherently risk-averse financial concept. You don't want to give up what you can basically kind of frame out as the sales you're going to make in the platforms and in the methods that you know right now for something that is completely new and random. It's one of the reasons why the Epic Games Store, when they bring people in that otherwise would have been on Steam, are offering advances on royalties, that they give a bunch of money that they think would match up with all of what you would make on Steam, and then you earn royalties against that money that goes to Epic until Epic is paid back, and then hopefully you split from there. But overall, it's an entirely safe play for you, while Epic tries to build up the number of eyeballs and the audience size that can generally compete with a place like Steam. This is normal. This is how competition looks. This is how it works. It doesn't mean the video game industry is going to die because a new business model exists. An offer you can't refuse. So the logic goes, as more people subscribe to these platforms, platform owners have less incentive to pay for content. The people who used to buy games directly before service subscribers instead, leaving game makers nowhere to publish games other than those subscription platforms. What happened with the other industries is big checks were written for a while until the platforms didn't need the content creators anymore. One game publishing executive who spoke on condition of anonymity because of active relationships with gaming platforms told Business Insider, this check might feel good now, but it might not feel so good in five years. Platforms like Microsoft's Xbox Game Pass need that content to draw in subscribers, but the long-term effect could be dire for the industry. Objection. Facts, not in evidence. People stop buying games directly and start paying for subscription services instead. Objection. Facts, not in evidence. We have no indication that the existence of Game Pass, or especially Apple Arcade, which we don't really have any good data on, has lowered the profitability of the Microsoft ecosystem. In fact, there are folks out there like Matt Piscatella and Michael Pachter and all these other folks that analyze this stuff for a living that seem to suggest that Game Pass has an amplifying effect that Game Pass is encouraging people to engage with games that they otherwise wouldn't and potentially buy more games, to play more games, to be more of a gamer than they otherwise would have been. That, remember, games aren't competing just with games, but games are competing with movies. Games are competing with television, with books, with vacations. And to the extent that you become more of a gamer, like Game Pass, like PlayStation Plus, like Xbox Live, what have you, makes you then you are more inclined to buy games and to spend money in those ecosystems. And yes, 
Game Pass and Apple Arcade, the shadow on the wall is that they don't give you DLC. And this could encourage different designs for video games that will encourage that kind of uh, expansion element to get you to actually spend money once your foot is in the door. That's another conversation. But all of this, all of what you are seeing here, this anonymous speaker is fear, is the concept that, oh, things are changing and this money isn't going to last, so it should never exist at all, which is ridiculous on its face. You don't run your business based on what things are going to look like in 10 years when even you don't know and the publisher certainly doesn't know. You don't solely run your business for short-term success, but you don't ignore short-term success in favor of a long-term, which might not look anything like you are currently anticipating. What happened with the other industries is big checks were written for a while. Netflix is still writing big checks. You got to have the content that they want. You got to be putting out something that they need, but Netflix is still writing the big checks. Microsoft is currently writing the big checks. We have no indication that the content network providers don't continue to need content. As a matter of fact, every indication is the opposite. You get up to these big numbers and Netflix needs more and more and more and more and more to keep those people satisfied. And yeah, that's going to change a little bit. Netflix tries to build things internally, tries to make that work. Microsoft is trying to build things internally, but they still need third-party support. And that still means money out the door. And in the case of Netflix, in the case of all that money, that revenue that has been generated in television and movie streaming, you get competitors. Netflix doesn't live in a vacuum. Netflix now lives in a space with Disney Plus and Hulu and Peacock Network and whatever CBS All Access is going to wind up calling itself when it tries to do this again for the fifth time. You get competitors. If Xbox isn't paying enough for content, maybe Sony will, maybe Apple will, maybe Google directly will. This is not a space that doesn't have dynamic growth and change and competition every five minutes. Video games are going to be just fine. And the more business models, the better. Sell games, absolutely. Subscribe to games, absolutely. Let's try streaming games, right? Let's try Stadia. Let's try PlayStation Now. Let's get all those models in there. That is how you avoid a crash like in the 80s. That is how you make your portfolio varied enough to survive the mercurial tendencies of the marketplace. Everything else is fear-mongering. And that might just be my opinion, but it's an opinion that is based in a history of watching this industry, watching other industries and advising clients on dealing with businesses and business changes throughout decades. It's an offer you can't refuse, another studio executive told Business Insider, still anonymous. If you destroy the system of purchasing and replace it with a subscription model, then the subscription model is all that's left. That's a tautological sentence, right? You've assumed the destruction of the purchasing system and then the subscription model is all that's left. That's right. If you assume the destruction of every other model, then the model you didn't assume the destruction of will be all that remains. Not a terribly good metaphor, not a terribly good way to run your business, but you can make whatever assumption that you like. It's just Netflix and Blockbuster. Instead of renting per video, you're paying for subscription services. Okay. These subscription services could mean the end of the traditional direct-to-consumer sales of individual games, where the sales trajectory over time looks like a downhill slope with a long tapered decline. We just adjust to the new paradigm. We have to make sure we have our profit margins up front. If we do a Game Pass game, we have to build our margins into that. Now that, still anonymous, is exactly correct. That's the main issue right now that Microsoft and these developers are facing is what is that number? 
What does this deal look like where you feel like you got good content? I feel like I didn't lose money. I still have enough money to make the next bit of content and everybody feels generally okay with what just happened. That Microsoft is still feeling out. That Sony and Google and everyone else is still feeling out because we don't have good data on it. We won't have good data on it until this model kind of operates for a while. The Xbox Series X and their push into the new ecosystem is going to accelerate that process because they really want to be focused like a laser beam on that recurring revenue. So we're going to get more data. But right now, everybody's kind of feeling each other out. And these developers are right that you basically have to ask for a little extra from Microsoft because they can't give you the analytics that you would want to assure that you aren't otherwise leaving a bunch of money at the door from just selling on Steam or directly. But subscription services haven't indicated that they are going to kill the purchasing process at all. It's very unlikely, as a matter of fact, that any given subscription service could pay enough money to every video game publisher and developer in the world to make sense on a single service. In fact, you see the developers, you see the publishers actually trying to pursue their own services, right? You see Electronic Arts doing that. You see Epic doing that. You see these giant publishers not wanting to only be beholden to that ecosystem. That's not going to change because digital delivery is so quote unquote easy. It's not easy, but it's easier compared to figuring out transportation logistics and manufacturing and all that goes with it. But because it's so easy, because it can change so fast, you get these competitors rising up often. And it's not like the ability to buy these things goes away. Even with Netflix, you still have the ability to buy movies if you want to buy movies. A familiar story. The music industry already went through this. When was the last time you bought a CD? How about a digital copy of an album? More likely, you're one of hundreds of millions of people either paying for a subscription-based music service or you're listening for free. With ads, of course, someone is paying for it. It's interesting how we don't consider broadcast TV under this kind of parenthetical, right? It's free. Yeah, there are ads, of course, but we don't necessarily think of them that way. Another prominent game developer who spoke with Business Insider, still unwilling to give their name, put the issue succinctly. Isn't it much easier to just give developers a giant sum of money for now, and then when there's no market to sell directly to consumers anymore, you just give them less? That's what I would do if I was a platform. Okay. Fear-mongering, right? Because at the end of the day, if the only way to sell games is one subscription service, maybe you've got that issue. But I would suspect the Jeff Bezoses of the world would see that as a market opportunity and get that competitor up immediately. And when I talk about fear-mongering, it's not out of just a sense of, oh, they must be wrong because they're crazy. No, it's because they bring up the music industry, right? CNN Business, today, this morning, the music industry was left for dead a few years ago. Now it's booming again. The music industry was in crisis just a few years ago. Sales were cut in half from their peak as single downloads, YouTube, and piracy made the CD album go virtually extinct. But music has found its white knight in streaming. Last year, recorded music revenues in the United States went up by 13% to more than $11 billion. That persuaded Warner and Universal, two of the biggest music companies, to announce plans to go public. And this article is great. You can click on it. But ultimately, I wanted to show you this table, right? The gray here is the direct purchases, what we are familiar with. And you can see it is going down, right? In versus streaming, streaming is taking up a bigger chunk of this. But the pie is bigger, right? There is more money in this ecosystem. There is more money in music than there was five years ago or 10 years ago. 
And that's because of streaming. That's because of messing with business models, being vital, figuring out a way to make music make sense and to monetize that. That's what video games are doing because this gray box is going down either way, right? This gray box was already shrinking without streaming. And video games could find themselves easily in the same kind of light because people like digital content and you have to react to the market. And to kind of belittle that, to cross your hands and say, oh my gosh, what is ever going to happen to this industry? Because Game Pass exists and the very article that is trying to defend you says it's great for consumers and great for players is ridiculous. Yeah, you can fight about this yellow piece. Streaming doesn't come without fault. Services have been criticized for not paying more to the artists and songwriters who create the music. You can have that fight. Absolutely. But right now, sales are going to be done digitally anyway in the video game industry. You're going through Microsoft, Sony, Valve, Epic, what have you. So you're always going to have that relationship with a publisher. You're always going to have that relationship with a platform because Walmart and GameStop and Best Buy, they aren't going to be selling games like they sold them in 2000. They just aren't. And so the fact that also these platforms are going to have streaming services, if they get the numbers right, doesn't mean that anything bad is going to happen to the video game industry. Quite the opposite, in my opinion. If we can have digital sales next to subscription services, next to streaming services, that is the most vital the video game industry could be and can be right now. Who knows what the future of business models holds? But anonymous discussion of all the very bad things, the gangster behavior that can happen to video games is ridiculous. And if you take nothing else away from virtual legality today, take that away. Fear prevents change. Fear is not something that you should operate your business under and change is inevitable in any event. The game industry is in a much more vital and good place than it would be without someone like Microsoft or Apple or Google or anyone else experimenting with these models and figuring out what people want to engage with. And by growing that pie, more game developers are going to have the ability to make their livelihood in the space. More game players are going to get more games and better access to those games. And that is not something at all to dismiss full-heartedly. Games are good. More games are better. Game developers, game publishers, and gamers are all going to win. We need to follow these models. We need to see how they play out. But Microsoft, Apple, Google... Sony, everyone else is doing gaming a service by pursuing these different models. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you like this, if you enjoyed it, please like, please subscribe, please tell your friends about this channel. Love to have more subscribers in here and have more conversations in the comments to our videos. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.